Good morning. Rushed as usual. <laughs> I was thinking um, I, maybe I should have taken a drink of what my girls drink sometimes, but I thought, no, I better not. My eyes will be popping out of my head. <laughs> but um, welcome this morning. Now, if you turn your Bibles or devices to John chapter 1, that would be great. How are you feeling this morning? You're good? <laughs> Energized, I hope? Great. <laughs> So from John chapter 1, um, just reading on the back of what uh, Dave shared last week, verse 14, so the word became human and made his home amongst us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I, when I said someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So um, this morning uh, I thought I would, I want to grab your imagination. I want to give you an opportunity to, to run with me, with your imagination, biblically, but still, you know, you have to kind of like think and imagine with me that you are at a specific place. But before we go there, um, let me just uh, say that when you grow up in a Pacific Island family, like I did, there are certain distinctives that you live in and you learn from. And later on, um, sometimes you behave <laughs> because you've grown up in that culture. Uh, some of the things um, that are distinctive about my culture are, for example, raising a bunch of cats that number over 10 plus. And if you know me quite well, you know I like maths. So when I was a little boy, I really did count them. We had 23 one day, 23. So islanders just love grabbing cats and dogs and say, come live with me and we'll feed you bread, milk, whatever. And they seem to survive. It's the island way. <laughs> Another one, uh, acquiring a motorbike license when you're in the islands from the local post office for $1. And then you go and get your cousin and say, can you teach me how to ride this thing? It's the island way. <laughs> also hanging up washing with a steel line from one end of the backyard right through to the other end of the backyard. It's just the way we hang up washing back at home. Uh, from the earliest of age, um, we watched rugby. We played rugby. Uh, we dreamt about Rugby, and we played other sports from the high point of rugby. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, you know. When I went to um, university, oh, not university, um, Bible college there in Sydney, um, I was there with a bunch of guys, I, you know, that I had connected with, and we all came over, and we we're all Islanders, and so we just loved it. We just loved hanging out over there, and um, one of the rules at Bible college was no TV 
after 11 o'clock, no TV. Go to bed. And so, typical Islander, my friend woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning because we were, all blacks were playing in England. And so he, there he is, and it's one of the, the TV's in one of those cupboards where it closes, you know, the doors closing on the TV. And he's sitting there with the cupboards right around his head, and he's watching the game. I woke up, I heard him, I woke up, I said, what are you doing? But only an Islander would do that, be that desperate to watch rugby. Um, growing up learning uh, that when you're attending weddings, you know, Dave Gascoigne would know this because he experienced it. Uh, when you attend weddings or funerals or other sorts of celebrations, and this includes the females, if your plate was not full and overflowing, everybody thought you were on a diet or you just weren't hungry. That's just normal for us. Uh, also, attending church was a must. You had to go to church. It was, you know, you could have lived like a devil for the rest of the week, but you still had to go to church. And if you didn't go to church, you faced the wrath of your loving parents. Finally, you know, amongst other things, we wore thongs, jandals, what we call them. You call them thongs. And um, thongs were worn on the feet. But they were also disciplinary missiles that were thrown at you if you misbehaved, especially at church. <laughs> but you know, one of the most uh, challenging and yet beautiful experiences in our culture was that someone outside of your immediate family, whether it's a grandmother, an auntie, an uncle, a cousin, a distant cousin, even a random that probably said, I am your family, was brought into your family. And there they set up home in your family. I remember um, when I was six years old, I turned up one day from maybe after school and I found out that I had a baby brother. <laughs> I thought, okay, <laughs> what's his name? And so I, brought, you know, I grew up with my younger brother who just happened to set up his tent one day in our family. But right there, it didn't matter where you were born. If you were brought into our family, you set up home and you became a part of our life. You were connected to us. Um, reminding us all this week of what we've just gone through last week, remember um, that from before time as we know it, God existed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three were distinct personalities in the Godhead, but all three were God. And all three were eternal and powerful in nature. Before the foundation of the world, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit met in council together. And the son willingly decided that he would come and that he would set up tent on planet earth. In the words of Galatians, when, when the right time came, Jesus came. And so he came and set up tent. And I'll explain what I mean by that on planet earth. In fact, Dave uh, mentioned last week that uh, from the message that Jesus moved into our neighborhood. 
In Acts chapter 2, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders and signs through him, as you know well. But God knew what would happen, and his pre-arranged plan was carried out. So setting up camp here on planet Earth was all about God's wonderful plan. And that's why um, when we bring application to our lives, we understand that no matter what happens to us, no matter who we meet and form relationships with, God is over it. He knew all about it. And he, he's not troubled by our troubles or he's not shaken by relationships that are challenging to us. It's all a part of his pre-arranged plan. In our passage, John wrote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later on in verse 14, it says, for today's passage, So the Word became human and made his home amongst us. The message writes, as I said, the Word became flesh and blood. And moved into our neighborhood. Another translation said that Jesus dwelt amongst us. This can be closely drawn in the old language, in the old economy, to Jesus tabernacling himself amongst us. Setting up, as I said before, his tent on planet earth. And I want you to use your imagination with me and come for a walk with me. As we think about Christmas and we think about what does it mean for him to tabernacle himself? Well, maybe we need to look at the tabernacle and see if we can draw anything from what God did way, way back there in the wilderness. So come with me for a walk as we go into this intriguing look at the tabernacle. Um, In Exodus 25, verse 8, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. That was the reason. So I can live among them. As the people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, God traveled with them. And he set up this tabernacle to represent his presence. So when the glory of God rested here, they were to plant the tabernacle right there. And when the glory of God lifted and moved to another place, they would move the tent and bring it over to this place and plant the tent again because that's where the presence of God was for the people of God. So as we uh, go into the tabernacle, the first thing that we come across is the altar of burnt Offering. It was a roughly 2.3 uh, meters square and about one and a half, 1.4 meters high. It was here at the altar that the sacrifices were made by the priests. Right here at the altar, you had nothing to do with the tabernacle unless you first came to the altar, and it was there that the sacrifices were made by the priests. As you moved on from the altar, you moved and came towards, before the tabernacle itself, the bronze basin of water. And the priests, after the, uh, the altar burnt offering ceremony, they would wash themselves before they would enter the ministry of 
the tabernacle. In fact, God said if Aaron's descendants uh, don't wash themselves, they're dead. Can you imagine that? Dave, don't enter the sanctuary like you've done in the past unless you wash yourself. Otherwise, you're just going to die on stage. <laughs> that was how serious God was with his presence. It was crucial. Then you entered into the tabernacle itself. It gets exciting. On the right-hand side was a table of showbread. The table was about a metre long, maybe a half a metre wide. It was made of acacia wood and it was overlaid with gold. And uh, Leviticus 24 tells us that the, they were supposed to take six pieces of bread there and lay it next to another six pieces of bread here. Twelve probably representing the twelve tribes of Israel. But that's where the table was. On the other side was the manure, the seven-pronged candlestick, which brought light into the tabernacle and later on into the temple. It was to be placed and lit continually in the tabernacle. Just before the curtain, right over here, just before the curtain was the altar of incense. And uh, it was here, half a metre square and a metre high. This was used by the priest to burn incense before Yahweh. Every morning, as the lamps were maintained, incense was, was, was presented. Every night as the lamps were again maintained, incense was given over to God. And the priests would offer up prayers of intercession for the people. And God would be accepting through the incense their prayers. As you came to the curtain, before the curtain, this place was called the holy place. Inside the curtain, this place was called the most holy place. Over here, only priests were to minister. But here in the most holy place, only the high priest was to be, and only once a year on the Day of Atonement, on the day of Yom Kippur. Inside the ark, please get rid of your Raiders of the Lost Ark theology at this point. <laughs> but inside the ark was the law of Moses. Inside the ark was manna. And inside the ark was Aaron's rod that budded. Above the ark was the lid, and it was called the mercy seat. And in the Hebrew uh, uh, meaning of the mercy seat, you get, we get the word covering or atonement. And there at the mercy seat, that's where the blood would be placed in the most holy place by the high priest praying for himself and also the nation on that one day, a day day of repentance. Overshadowing the mercy seat was the cherubim, one representing the righteousness of God and the other representing the judgment of God, fully satisfied and met at the what? At the blood of the mercy seat. You know, when I grew up, 
as, as a young Christian back in, in New Zealand. I had no idea when I was going through my devotions. At some point in time, I came to Exodus and I came to Leviticus. And I had no idea fully what I was really reading. All I what I understood at that time was that God said his word's going to cleanse me. God said his word's going to feed me. So I'm just going to read it. But later on in his faithfulness, as I opened the scriptures and the Holy Spirit faithfully opened my eyes, and as he led me to people who knew far more better than I did, and I read and I listened, the Holy Spirit began to remind me, hey, Mike, you know the tabernacle? And you know every piece that was in there. And you know every way that the tabernacle was built and put together. It was my son. It was Jesus. It was all about Jesus. Every single piece pointed to the Messiah. The tabernacle later on the temple were always, it was like a neon light saying, Look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, so that every time you and I today would venture into the Old Testament and begin to read these things, we would know that in some way God is speaking to me about his son and what he is or who he is and what he has accomplished on our behalf. So what do we see from the tent of meeting? The tabernacle, our saviour, Jesus If Christmas directs us back to the birth of the Lord Jesus, where he tabernacled himself on planet Earth in Bethlehem, what do we learn from the tabernacle? Well, just as God set up the tabernacle as a representation of himself amongst his people, so Jesus came. To show us, as Dave mentioned again last week, Jesus came to show us what God was like. If you know, want to know what his attitude is towards this area, just look at me. If you want to know how to treat people, how God treats people, just look at the way that I treat people. Jesus would, would, would display. If you want to know how to lead a team, look at the way I led my team, Jesus says. That's how God leads teams that's how god cares for people that's how god loves people jesus came tabernacled himself and showed us exactly how we should look at god because he's the very presence of god on planet earth when he came to the burnt offering again it was there that the sacrifice was placed on the altar And um, his substitutionary death for all mankind is illustrated beautifully at the altar of burnt offering. I said to the people this morning there there at Eagle Hawk that if I was an artist, and I'm not, (laughs) but if I was, and I drew a Christmas uh, picture that you could hang up here, I would draw the, the nativity scene, the manger, I would make sure that you saw the awe and the wonder and the curiosity and the intrigue of those who were there. And overshadowing the manger was the cross, the shadow of the cross. Because Jesus was the only man that was ever born that was born for the purpose of dying. And the tabernacle at the altar of burnt offering shouts, 
Calvary covers it all. You remember when Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. He tabernacled himself to become our personal, personal sacrifice. So that when you look at Christmas, you anticipate all that he accomplished on your behalf and on my behalf. Jesus is the only one, as you moved to the, to the bronze basin where the priests would wash their hands and, the, and, and, and their garments, this is a place where they would be clean for service, fit for service. And he's the only one who can fit us for service. He's the only one who can cleanse us not only by his blood, but by his word and by his spirit. And the bronze basin basin is a place where they cleanse themselves. In Ephesians chapter 5, we read, Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Remember how Jesus said to them, now you are clean by the word which I've spoken to you. He's the only one who could do that. And as you come to that basin, you appreciate the incredible opportunity that you and I have when we come, for example, to his word, where we go and we say, Lord, you know how I'm feeling. You know what has happened this week. I have hardly made this space that I have committed to you. I've hardly made it here. I wasn't even going to turn up, but I'm here. Cleanse me. Wash me. Fill me by your word. And he does it. He promises it and he does it. We come to the beautiful table of showbread where the priests only were the only ones who were able to partake of it. But not only did they partake of it, they they offered it to God as an offering, worshipping Yahweh as our provider, the only one who can sustain us, the only one who can hold us together, only him, only Jesus. Jesus said, and remember the you remember the conversations in John chapter 6? I am what? The, the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow hungry again. Never. He went on to explain later on that your forefathers, they ate bread in the wilderness, the manna, and they died. But he who eats of this bread that I will give him shall never die. He is the source of our sustenance, of our well-being, of everything about us. He is the, he is the one who sustains us and provides for us. In fact, in Deuteronomy 29, listen to what Moses says. For 40 years I led you through, now this is where uh, some of you ladies, when you go shopping, and you can save money. For 40 years I led you through the wilderness, yet your clothes and sandals did not wear out. You ate no bread and, and, and you drank no uh, wine. 
but he provided for you so you would know that I am God. So that every time they traveled with this tabernacle and set it up and they would uh, realize that the showbread would be there to be used by the priest, they would realize he provides for us. He's going to see us through. He's going to sustain me through this particular season. The tent pegs were put down so I could be fully and completely sustained by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, um, years ago when I made the move to Australia, I had no idea how I was going to do this. And I encourage, I, I want to share this story, especially to those of you that are younger than me. And David, those of you that are younger, especially. I came to Australia and I struggled in my brain, thinking, how am I going to be sustained? I don't really know a whole bunch of people except to the few that I came over with. I don't know what job I'm going to get in the future, what ministry will turn up. I don't know how I'm going to pay for my fees. I just had enough to pay a little bit and get on that Air New Zealand flight to Sydney. But as time went on and faith like a mustard seed began to grow in my heart, God began to reveal to me that the same shoes, the same faith that got you on that plane is the same faith that I will use and grow to get you through the next step, the next season of me revealing what's, what I have for you. And I discovered that he provided again. I discovered that when I went through the, the, probably the hardest season of my life, he came through and sustained me and began to build up my heart and my faith yet again. And as I look at the tabernacle and I see the bread, I say, Lord, thank you that you are the bread of life and that if I feed off you, I will never be hungry. I pray um, for my kids all the time. And for one of them, I pray Psalm 109 over her life. Psalm 109, the psalmist just has a prayer about how God satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. I say, Lord, get that into her heart. Help her to see that you're the only one who can satisfy her longing soul. You're the only one who can fill her hungry soul with goodness. You're the only one. And on the left-hand side, the menorah, the light of the tabernacle. And you and I know that Jesus said in John chapter 8, what did he say? I am the light of the world. It's just like Bethlehem, light opened up on the world when he tabernacled himself there in the manger. And as he lay there in the arms of Mary, there would have been a message from God saying, this one here, He's the light. He's the one who can bring you out of darkness. I um, met, I think it's the second to last time I'm going to meet with these guys for the year, but I met again with the guys that I, I brought to your attention last week. And um, 
took them for a game of tennis just to get them out. And um, I, those of you who know my history, I didn't pull a hamstring. It was all good. And uh, we got through that. We took them to Lake Waruna. And we had fish and chips. And we just sat there. And then I said to them, as I got my Bible out, I don't have a study for you this week, but I do have a devotion. I just want to share something simple with you. So I, I shared that simple devotion with them. And then I, I opened it up and says, what are your thoughts? Got any questions? What are your thoughts? One by one, they began to open up. And there was a common theme through their sharing. And the common theme was this. Mike, you have no idea what it's like to be brought out of darkness into light. You have no idea what it means for me just to see clearly now. To have purpose for the first time in my life. To, to, to step out of a place of lostness and darkness and uh, huge, huge issues to a place of hope because now we see. In fact, one of them said, I'm all in with God. I know what life was like in dark spaces, Mike. I lived, I lived there, but Jesus has graciously lifted me up and out of the darkness into his light. And I'm all in. That's what he was saying. I'm all in. He set up tent to bring me out of darkness into his incredible light. And then we come to the altar of incense. As I said, the the priest was there offering up incense on that altar before Yahweh, our God. And once a year, the sacrificial blood was brought to that altar to cleanse it for that whole year. But continually, the priests would offer up prayers for the people. Remember when the writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews chapter 7, but because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. I don't think you and I really get it. Every day, Jesus is praying for you and me. Every day. Every day, he thinks about you. Every day when you know that you may have said the wrong thing to your wife and you feel really stink, he's praying for you. He's praying for you. And you may feel that even as you're a child and and you've let your parents down in some way or on the other scale, you're excited for the opportunities that 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 are coming your way. Whatever the situation, he's praying for you. He's thinking about you every single day, saying, Father, Father, you see them. And he rattles off his list on your behalf and my behalf. It's tough going to to Africa to set up a wedding, Jenny, to be a part of all that. It's crazy the things that you have to have in place. Things could just go terribly wrong. And as Jenny stepped on that plane and headed out with her family to that wedding, Jesus was there 
saying, I've got your back every single day that you're going to be involved in this wedding. It's as simple as that. He prays for us. He set up his tent on planet Earth for that purpose. And everything about the Ark of the Covenant as we go through that curtain. Remember how how incredibly special this place was. And this space here, before the curtain, it was the most it was the holy place. But in this space, it was the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. Over here, only the priests could minister. But here, the high priest alone was the only one who could minister. And only once a year, on the day of Yom Kippur. Isn't it wonderful that the Bible says Jesus is our high priest? And here in this Ark of the Covenant, which was made of acacia wood on the, outside, uh, on the inside and made of gold on the outside. Last week, the divinity of Christ. This week, the humanity of Christ without sin. Joined together as God. The ark teaches us that Jesus is the ark of the covenant and everything that it represents. Because inside the ark, was the law of Moses. The law said, if you don't keep the law, you will die for your sins. And so for generation after generations, we've died as a human race for our sins. But the Bible says there's good news. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. And so when I come to him, who himself is the ark, representing the presence of God. When I come to him and put my faith and trust in him, I deal with the law and its consequences because he dealt with it himself on my behalf. I'm free. I'm free. Inside the ark, not only was the law that Jesus Christ fulfilled, but it was the manna. Remember the showbread representing everything that God provides on our behalf. He's enough. And also in the, in the ark itself was, was Aaron's rod that budded, representing the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, this is incredible because, you know, if I simply come to him and believe as, that he died for my sins, as the scriptures write, and that he was buried and he rose again as the scriptures talk about, the Bible says, I am free, I am saved, I'm safe in God. And Jesus said, remember, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, will live And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. I am the resurrection and the life. You can count on my sacrifice and resurrection on your behalf. Well, what stood above the ark? It was the lid. It was what they call the mercy seat. It was what the Hebrew knew as the covering, the atonement, the place where God was satisfied at the sacrifice. 
And it was here at the mercy seat that the blood was placed. Because at the top of the mercy seat were the cherubims, which represented the righteousness of God that you and I could not meet, and the judgment of God that you and I deserve, but they were fully met at the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Met at the blood. Peter would say this, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless and spotless Lamb of God that we look at at Christmas time. That's why I say that the manger always had a shadow over the cross. The cross always overshadowed the manger. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. There's an old hymn that um, was written years ago. And uh, those of you that would be older would know this beautiful hymn. There is a fountain filled with what? Blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may go I, though vile as he, and wash all my sins away. Ever since by faith I saw that stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. So Jesus tabernacled himself so I could be brought back into a right relationship with God. So that when I see the manger, I just see my relationship with him. And I worship him for accomplishing that on my behalf. So I have a couple of questions that I want to throw out and leave you with. And one of them is this. If Jesus is seen through the tabernacle as we imagined we were walking through this morning, if Jesus is represented through the tabernacle, the way that it was made, and everything that was inside the tabernacle, what will you do with that this Christmas? What are you going to do with that? If you go to the manger this Christmas, you look at your on your bookcase or whatever, and you, and you look at your nativity scene, and you remember today the tabernacle and everything that he accomplished on our behalf. What are you going to do with that? God set up his tent so that every Christmas season we experience, we would enjoy an incredible relationship with him. And so that Christmas would be different every single year for us. We're, we're going to go shopping. We're going to be eating. We're going to be traveling. But maybe this Christmas to those of you, whether you're online or whether you're here this morning, those of you who 
who don't have a relationship with the one who tabernacled himself on planet Earth all those years ago. Maybe this Christmas it's time. It's time to settle that. It's time to say, I'm going to stop running. And I'm going to come and experience him for myself. I'm tired of hearing other people's story. I want a story myself. And you know, if that's your heart, you can do that this Christmas. The tabernacle was there and available for the people of Israel year after year after year. And Jesus is available year after year today. What are you going to do? If Jesus says, I am the bread of life, will you take him as your sustenance? If he says, I am the light of the world, will you, will you allow him to, to raise you up from your dark spaces and bring light to you? If he says, I am the door, are you going to walk through? If he says, I'm the resurrection and the life, will you not believe that and have that for yourself? This Christmas, it can be a, as simple as, as saying this. Lord, your word teaches for me to repent. And in and, and all the creative ways that people have, have told me about that, I simply take a 180 degrees turn away from my sinful life and I turn to Jesus and I receive you. As my king, come into my life and set me free to follow you. There's another question I want to pose to you. But before I I say that, I I was in a conversation with uh, Trina and Donna this week. We talked about this message. And it's interesting. I've just shared with you this morning that only the priests, only the priests could minister in the holy place. And only the high priests in the most holy place. But because of Jesus and our relationship with him, we have access to the presence of God today. We have full access. You no longer have to pay for your sins. He's paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. The song says. That's the good news. So the second question I want to pose is this, for the believer, for you and I that, that have a relationship with him. Jesus tabernacled himself. He moved into our neighborhood. Are you going to do the same? The Bible pleads for us to move into the neighborhood of the world in which we live, into the workplace in which you work at, into the neighborhood that you live in and to the family that you belong to. The Bible pleads for us to take the, 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 the commission that we've been given seriously and move into the neighborhood just like he did, just exactly like he did. Jesus said emphatically in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16 in the message version, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. 
We're going public with this. Work or school. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, Jesus says, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you on a hilltop and on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you prompt people to open up their lives to God. I want to finish with this. Billy Graham went for a walk with his boys, as he always did. But this particular day, he went for a walk with them. You know the story well. One of them stood on an anthill. And they asked, uh, what are we going to do? One of them says, I wish I could become an ant so I could help the wounded. And Billy took the opportunity. And he related to his boys that Jesus himself saw our brokenness, our wounds, and he became a human. He became a man. He tabernacled himself so that he could help us and rescue us from our wounds and take us to heaven for all eternity. This Christmas, take time quietly to muse over the mighty tent. You know, if I had to put a uh, a title to this message, I would call it this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only tent. Jesus, the Son of God. This Christmas, let the message of the manger and the cross combine and make an impact on your life in such a way that you can move into your neighborhood and make an impact in somebody else's lives as well. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much for this word picture and your word. So much, so deep and so detailed. But if there's something that we just take away this morning, it's that the tabernacle and everything in it pointed to Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. Look into our hearts this morning and by your mighty spirit, draw us close to your heart. Mend our brokenness and give us a relationship with the Father through faith in your tent, in your tabernacle, in Jesus Christ. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.